telling us something here about an unspoiled devotion and that's the title of our message this morning is that we need to have an unspoiled or unhindered or undistracted devotion and you weren't able to be undistracted this morning already so I'm going to ask you to be not distracted by anything else but to focus on what we want to talk about and the, and the the whole aim is not for you to focus on what I need to say. The, the, the aim is to live a life of unhindered devotion. That we are surrounded by things and, and issues and, and events and circumstances that distract us. The point is we need to be able to move beyond those distractions and focus on our king. And so Paul, in this letter that we started last week, 2 Corinthians, he goes into another concern that he has. Last week we spoke about a jealousy that he had. He said, I'm jealous for the church to actually be betrothed to Christ. This morning we, we read a little bit further on and we read in verse 3 about what he's now concerned about. He first was jealous. Now he says, I'm afraid. And so I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. And Paul reads as follows, or writes as follows. I'm reading. He's writing. He says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent, say with me serpent. Sometimes you, you want to say it loud eh, and just say, listen, I hate that, that thing, that man. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts, talking to the Christians, the church in Corinth, will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Say with me, sincere. He says, listen, I am concerned. I'm afraid that you will be so distracted by what the enemy is doing that it will take you from this. An unspoilt devotion to Christ. And so this morning, that's what we want to talk about. And, and in this series where we're focusing on a life worth living, we're saying a life worth living is a life completely devoted to Christ. There's nothing more important than Him. And that's why when we ask, please, can we have your attention? It's almost the same as what God would say to us. Hey, listen, I need your attention, but we are so aware of distractions, isn't it? It's so, so easy that these things would happen. and so. Hence the little illustration. Now, if you look at the word here that, that Paul uses, the word sincere, it actually comes from a beautiful Greek word called hablotes, H-A-P-L-O-T-E-S, hablotes, which really means singleness, simplicity, uprightness. It means that you're free from pretense and hypocrisy. No ulterior motive in your heart. Not self-seeking, but you're genuine in your heart. You have no hidden agenda. So Paul is saying, guys, I know that this is what happened back in the beginning. That people's attention were taken from this thing of a singleness of mind. A, a, a devotion to Christ. A thing that says, I have no ulterior motive in serving Jesus. I have no hidden agenda. Actual fact, we sang that song, and I don't know whether we really know what we sang about earlier on, where we said, nothing else will do, I just want you. That's simplicity. That's a singleness of focus. 
but it's not something so easy to produce. Why? You saw it earlier. There's so many distractions that we live with. And I believe this is what threatens the enemy, and he will do his utmost to deceive us from this. If Paul is saying that he actually lives with a fear for us, that we will miss out on this thing, then surely this is a big deal. He says, I'm afraid. And the word in the Greek there is phobia, which is where we get our phobia issues from. The word phobia. So he says, I've got a phobia that you will actually miss out on the greatest thing that you should be devoted to, and that is to Christ. I, I wonder if I live with that concern in my heart. That, your God, I've, I want to make sure that I have a devotion to you. Does it drive me to a fear? A good fear, I believe? I don't know. I think sometimes we're just so ignorant of the fact that we can be distracted and, and taken from this devotion that, that, we, that we don't concern ourselves enough with, am I really that devoted to Christ? And you're the only ones that can answer that. Paul is saying, I am. So why would, this is the question I want to ask. Why would a sincere, and maybe I think the slide is, yeah, the slide is up there. It says, why would a sincere and pure devotion be a major threat to the enemy that it was the very reason he approached even the garden about? He says, that's why. He says, I'm comparing it to what happened then. Because Eve was approached by the servant, serpent to deceive her from this, which he accomplished, by the way. So I want to take you from your sincere and pure devotion that you need to have towards God. And he succeeded. Paul is now saying thousands of years later, I'm still concerned that the same can happen to you. And today it's a relevant thing for us as well. That none of us are exempt from this, by the way. And Paul would write to us and speak to us and say, there's something incredibly significant about a sincere and a pure devotion then, because this is what the enemy is trying to lure us from. Are you the only one this morning that can say the enemy is succeeding or not? We don't want to give him any honor and any recognition, but we've got to acknowledge that he is good at that. Come on. We've got to acknowledge that this is Certainly, his attempt, and to various degrees, he's successful in it. And as a body of believers, we've got to make sure that we don't fall prey to that. That we don't get tripped up by this desire of his to take us from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And hence, us talking about a life that's worth living. Paul is not referring to a devotion to Christ that's just casual and, and unintentional. Oh, we'll just try your luck at it. Now, we're not using the word simple when it comes to sincere. It's simplicity that means actually singleness of focus, a complete devotion to him, unhindered by stuff. It's not, oh, it's just a casual thing. Come on, guys, just let's, let's enter into a casual. No, 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 the devil wants you to enter into a casual relationship with God. He's afraid of the sincere one. He doesn't mind the casual pursuit, a pursuit of God. But when you become sincere and devoted, then you're a threat to him. 
I always say that the greatest threat to the enemy, the enemy, our spiritual enemy, Satan, is your love for God. The greatest resistance that you can give the enemy is not fighting the enemy, but it's loving God. So you've got to again answer the question, how much of a threat are you currently to the enemy? Because it's measured by your love for God. And how do we measure our love for God? Through our obedience to Jesus. And not just, again, you guys are all looking so good this morning at Mother's Day. But it's not measured by our, our um, participation in a moment like this. It's measured by the obedience that we live out every single day unto our King. That's a sincere and pure devotion to Him. So if the essence of Christian life then is a simplicity and a purity of devotion to Christ, then what does it look like? What does that look like then for us? What is so powerful about this that, that Paul is saying, I'm afraid that, that just as the enemy did it then, he can do it now again. And he actually is doing it because he was concerned for them. And once we establish what, what, what a sincere and pure devotion to Christ looks like, should we not determine whether that is evident in my life? If I say, well, this is what it possibly would look like, then I've got to step back and say, is that real in my life or not? Is that okay? So we, we're asking questions. And we're not accusing anyone. We're just asking questions according to what we find in Scripture. So let me talk about this. What does a, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ actually look like? And there's a story that I came on that came upon that it was really just so relevant to me. It's a story of a group of people dining um, together, and and uh, and in this group of people was a professional actor sitting next to an old man. And uh, at a certain time, uh, the people in the group asked the actor to stand up and give a speech. And so he chose to do so. And, and, and rather than giving a speech, he, he quoted Psalm 23. And stood up, quoted it with great voice and great oratory skills and with an amazing uh, performance doing so. And when he had finished, he, they all clapped, appreciated him for and the way that they were entertained. And he sat down beside the old man and, and asked the old man, would, would you like to do the same thing? Old man said, yes, sure, I'll do it. He stood up and, and he finished. And when he finished, though his voice had been shaky, less than professional, there was a hush at the end of him doing his version of Psalm 23. Nobody clapped when he sat down. Just a holy hush. The actor, who was so professional and so good at what he did, looked at the old man and, and said, Sir, I know the psalm, but you definitely know the shepherd. I know the psalm, but you know the shepherd. And the fact that he brought this psalm across in such a way from a personal revelation of who God is made the difference between a personal knowledge of Psalm 23 and 
And it just so spoke to me about the reality that a sincere and pure devotion to Christ is not seen in what we can remember, but it is seen in how we live our lives. It is outworked in, in the reality of Jesus being real to me. And this was the difference that I believe between Paul and, and the false teachers that, that you find so often referred to in Second Corinthians. Paul was warning the people about about these false teachers that were coming to Corinth. Paul found satisfaction in the person of Christ first, and, 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 but these false teachers tried to find it in pretending that they were similar to Paul by disguising themselves in, in a certain way. And you read about that in, in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 15. Let me just show this to you. He says, in verse 15, so it is no surprise if his servants, these false teachers, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will, be, will correspond to their deeds. And so Paul is just saying, listen, there are guys that pretend. They don't come with the simplicity. They have ulterior motive. They have hidden agendas. But you know what? They will be found out. But the reality of a sincere devotion to Christ is seen. And may I show you just from Paul's life, in 2 Corinthians, first of all, how it can be seen. Just letting the Word of God show us what this can possibly look like. So let go back with me in 2 Corinthians to chapter 4, and, and I'm going to just show you we're trying to find out what does a sincere and pure devotion to Christ look like with no ulterior motive, with no hidden agenda, with a singleness of mind, with a purity of heart of saying, Lord, I'm loving you, I'm serving you because it's all about you. So let's look at what Paul describes that that possibly could look like. And, and we read here in chapter 4 and verse 8, listen to what Paul is talking about about his kind of, the life that he was living at the time. He says we are afflicted in every way. In every way, all right? Not just in some ways. He says, but not crushed. He says we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. He says in verse 9, we are persecuted, but not forsaken. Then he says we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. How's that, hey? For an extreme and then for a, a hopeful thing. That, oh, yeah, yeah, this is happening, but at least this is not. And so wherever you may be, you can fit yourself into any of those categories and, and recognize that there's a but not. Amen? And so Paul carries on. He says, for we are always carrying, verse 10, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So we realize that, hey, there's, there's, there's death, not in a physical sense, but the, the turmoil of going through struggle, but then there's a hope of life in Jesus. In verse 11, he says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So he's saying, I'm prone to go through stuff that's not simple, it's not easy, and it's actually very, very destructive. It's not killing me because the life of Jesus is made manifest in those very difficult moments. What I'm trying to get to you 
is that in the midst of all these things that Paul had gone through, he's not losing focus. He's not being distracted. He's not turning away from his, sim his simple or sincere and pure devotion. He says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. So what I'm going through, he's actually saying, is producing some hope in you, I believe. Then in verse 16, verse, he says the following, Paul, again, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. There's something that indicates to us that Paul had a sincere and a pure devotion no matter what. Come on. And this is just one example. We can find so many others. A powerful picture of, of what it looks like when someone has singleness of focus in serving Jesus Christ. And that's where we're saying a life worth living is found. When we don't get distracted by this stuff. And we all agree, there are many things out there that can distract us. Yet in the midst of this, Paul has not lost his devotion to Christ. He says, I'm not looking at the things that are seen. I'm looking at the things that are unseen. And folks, this week you may have looked at a lot of seen things again and become distraught and discouraged. And you look at yourself sometimes and you think, that is the scene and I'm discouraged by what I see. Come on. Most of us, if not all, often get discouraged by what we see in the mirror. <laughs> like we're getting older. You know, we're having whatever the symptoms are of age on your face <laughs> and on your body. And, and you're getting discouraged by what you see because you look at the picture there next to the bed that your wife put there of your husband, of you being 20 years young, and you're like, oh, I miss that guy. And she's like, amen, I miss him too. Anyway, and um, the point is that we, we're, so con we're so aware of the seen things, isn't it? And the things that we can't see because we're hoping for this and we can't see it yet and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But Paul says, I'm actually devoted and driven by the things that I don't see. Which is so contrary to how we live. Because when I see something, I'm like, I come alive. I can see it again. But when I don't see anything or something, I'm discouraged. And, and so this morning I'm saying to you that a sincere and pure devotion to Christ cannot be dependent upon what I see. You've got to go dig deeper and I'll show you just now what I'm talking about. Let, let me show you just an example from the Old Testament about a sincere and pure devotion to God. And I'm going to take you to the life of a, of a man called David that, that it was a man after God's own heart and and here in 1 Samuel, take some time to page, if you can. If you don't have a system to page and pages, then use your device and page there in 1 Samuel chapter 13. It'll just show you something about the life of David. And so what we find here is that, that Saul, the king, first king, is appointed as king over Israel. And, and so God, in a sense, regretted this guy because he wasn't really a great king. And it says in verse 14, when, when more and more of Saul's true character came out, that God spoke 
through the prophet Samuel to Saul and said, in verse 14, 1 Samuel chapter 13, it says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. How's that, hey? He just started, basically. He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So here we see the first introduction, not by name, but by character. I love that. <laughs> Imagine if we, can in, we could be introduced, not by name, by virtue of our names, but by virtue of our character. Yet David is introduced to us. He says, God is talking about the next king that, that will be not recognized firstly by, by his name or by his heritage, where he comes from, but by his character. What is his character here? He's a man after his own heart. It's a beautiful thing to be said. That is firstly, for me, an indication that there's something in David's heart that said, I'm focused, I'm devoted to Christ or to God. And so we find further on that as, as David was chosen to be king in 1 Samuel 16, Again, this comes through. There's a beautiful story. We don't have time to go through it. And Saul had now been messing up big time. And David is, is, is sought out to be the next king. And so Samuel is told by God to go to a certain family to go and anoint the king, the son of one of, um, of, of, the, of the man that's the father. And um, so he goes around and he gets to um, this house where the, the father of the house is called Jesse. And he says, Jesse, I need to anoint one of your sons as king. So Jesse thinks, okay, well, it's probably my oldest son. So he brings up the oldest. It's not that one. Next one, not that one. And he goes through all of them. And eventually, with all of them present, um, Samuel says, well, it's not one of them that you've given me. He says, don't you have another son? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I forgot the other. So I don't know. I mean, some of these families, maybe they have so many children, you get to forget, hey? Anyway, um, then... then um, so he says, yeah, I've got a son out in the field. He's just a shepherd boy. And so he makes him call this man. Because in verse 7 it says in 1 Samuel 16, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as, see, as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord for, looks for that sincere and pure devotion. To him. And so we can easily become impressed with one another because we are looking at the scene, isn't it? <laughs> God says, I look at the unseen. I look deeper. I look at your heart. And, and so in verse 12, um, he has the son now brought out from, from the, um, the fields and, and he brought him in. And it says, and he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. But that was not why the Lord chose him. Hey, so most many of you guys, uh, that would have qualified some of you. Um, but it's not the thing that the Lord is after. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint, anoint him, for this is he. And so Samuel anoints this man that had come from the field, that was not firstly part of the group that was possibly becoming the king. Because the Lord says, I look at the heart. I do not look at the outward appearance. And then we find this beautiful thing that happens in 1 Samuel 17, this well-known story of David and Goliath, where, again, the men are fighting, and, and David is this boy 
who's out in the field, he's tending to the sheep. And, and his father says, take your, your brother some food and some nourishment and whatever it may be that he took them. And when he arrived there, he found them all in fear and, and trepidation in front of this Goliath man that was shouting at them and, and, and mocking them. And nobody had the guts to stand up. So this little boy, short in stature, According to Maine, not much to give. He comes and he arrives at the scene. In verse 24 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. That's from Goliath. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who had come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who, king, who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make him his, father, his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Oh my goodness, he's standing up. Nobody else is doing it. What is so unique in his life and in his heart that he would stand up and, and approach and speak about this man in this way? And verse 28 is Eliab, his older brother, says the following. His oldest brother heard um, when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. So what are you trying to say? Typical older brother attitude, isn't it? I hope that none of you treat your younger brothers like that. David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And then we know the story. How David then approaches the Goliath, the giant, and kills him. Because there was something in his heart that said, you are mocking my God. I'm not trying to show you that I'm better than all of these men. I'm just, there's something in my heart that is stirred because you are mocking my God. And my sincere and, my sincere and pure devotion towards God is challenged by what you have to say. And I will not allow you to do that. And he kills them. Beautiful story. So this is what it looks like. Just one, two examples from Scripture, and we can go into so many others to help us understand what a sincere and pure devotion to Christ looks like. It's not these guys were there every single day and they managed to be on time for these things and they had all their ducks in a row and they were this and they were that and they were perfect because we know that David even sinned later on. But the point is, there was something in his heart that said, God, when I had sinned, please do not take your spirit from me because I was wrong and I harmed you and the sincere devotion that that is the driving force of my life is the very reason that brings me to my knees and say God I'm sorry God I'm sorry how do we establish this kind of a life how does this come about it's not just pressing a few buttons and boom out pops a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I, I wish it was that easy. I wish it was just come to a meeting on a Sunday, sit here, 
Don't be distracted. Pretend that you're not falling asleep. Have a Bible in front of you. Make a few notes. Pretend that you're making notes and you'll walk out here and your sincere and pure devotion to Christ would have increased. I hope it, I wish it was that simple. I wish it was just read a few books during the week or, or memorize 10 verses and, and every week just increase that and, and you will see that the outcome of that will be X, Y, Z. I wish it was that simple. If it only was just come through this, this conveyor belt system and, and, and from there you enter and, and, and after 15 years when you exit, that's the product. I wish it was that simple. But a life worth living for Christ is a daily sacrifice, my friends, where we choose Him above everything else. And we say, God, the greatest delight I have in my life is You. Nothing else will do. I just want You. And it starts, it is helped by these moments for sure. But it's mostly possible outside of these moments when you are on your own. And I find that if I look into the fact that Paul says here, and we will talk about this in the weeks to come, next week we will talk about how is it possible that our minds can be so infiltrated by thoughts? But anyway, Paul is saying here, your thoughts will be led astray. So, so somehow the importance of our minds come in. That a sincere de and pure devotion to Christ actually starts in our minds. That we've got to start infiltrating and, 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 and affecting our thought life. And that can change the way that we devote ourselves to Christ. Paul says that, that the mind is the place that will be attacked. Then if the mind is the battleground, then surely the mind should be the place that we strengthen, there's a beautiful word, or fortify against these cunning or tricks of the enemy to lure us from that. So how do we strengthen our minds? I believe we've got to formulate our own theological conviction about who Christ is. It's a big word, theological. But it's really have, have a belief about God in your system that you keep on growing and keep on developing. You've got to understand and, and build on the truth of who Jesus is and you've got to keep on adding to that truth. The truth about who, what you know he did and who he is 10 years ago cannot be the truth that you only live on today. You've got to have added to it. You've got to have to build on that. The foundation needs to become stronger. You've got to study and establish who Jesus is so that the thinking about Jesus becomes a reality that you live with every single day. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians again. As we talk about how do we strengthen our minds? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Let me show you just what Paul is saying. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might, not lo might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's two verses. Now you can take... You can take a long time just to meditate on that and let that sink into your life, into your mind. 
so that the outcome of that would be, sure, this is what Christ has done for me. I want to let that become a reality and a truth in my life and sustain me. Look at it. That he died for all. That those who live might not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. So Lord, I want to, I want to let that truth become part of how I live my life. It carries on in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, listen to this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is phenomenally important stuff. This is truth that changes the way we think that influences our devotion to Christ. Any alleged sincere and pure devotion that is not the fruit of thinking about Jesus is mere infatuation or fascination, an empty and fleeting feeling that will soon pass. If, if we just think about Christ, but it's not based on the truth, it's just fascination. We're all fascinated by Jesus. He did an amazing thing. But if it's not slowly and surely progressing into my mind and changing the way I think, it cannot lead me to a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Our thoughts about Christ should inflame our love for Him. But we need to provide our minds with the truth in order for our thoughts about Christ to be formed. <laughs> Come on, that makes sense, doesn't it? We want to have a passion in our lives. We want to live with a zeal for Him. But the zeal needs to be based on truth. And the truth needs to be discovered and studied and read and meditated on and allow it to fill our minds so that the more I'm thinking of Him, the more my passion for Him can increase. Hence, the simple exercise of reading the Bible. Very simple. I don't read the Bible because it's a chore. It's a ritual. I read the Bible because I need to see the truth about who Jesus is so that the truth can come into my mind and that the more I see it, the more my passion for Him can grow. Absence of the Word, little of the Word into me, it equals little passion. It leads to a poor devotion to Him. So it starts, it's basic stuff. Again, Christianity 101, where we say, guys, we've got to look at where I am in terms of my intake of the word, because my intake of the word will determine my output of devotion to Jesus. My sincere and pure devotion. There are two verses that you can go and study on your own. It's Romans 12, and it talks about the importance of our minds. Romans 12 and Colossians 3, 1 to 4. And, but I want you, as we conclude, I want to ask the question, how does your current devotion to Christ look like? Not measured by time like this. And these are most very important moments. But how does it look like? Is it, is it unspoiled? Is it weak? Is it hindered by other things around you? Or are you able to say, I'm, I'm currently living and growing in a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And I can see just that 
that my time with God is producing something of incredible wealth and worth towards Him. The question I ask is, do you regularly strengthen your mind with the truth about Jesus or is something else currently allowing it to spoil it? Do you regularly strengthen your mind with the truth about Jesus or something else currently allowed to spoil it? Are you distracted like we started off? Or is there an unspoiled devotion towards Jesus? And none of us can compare each other on one to another and say, I'm further than you. We, we all have a responsibility to say, what I am is related to what I give myself. The person that I am today is not related to anything that anybody has done to me. It's what I have chosen to be. And if you're struggling in your devotion to Christ, it is related to your decisions. You cannot blame anybody else. Yes, people do things that aren't fun and, and aren't helpful. But the point is this, you and I make decisions and we've got to make a de decision about our devotion to Christ. And, and so my encouragement to you this morning is, as Paul ends with this verse, I'm afraid that there is a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. May we not allow anything to distract us from this. May we make the effort, individually, collectively, to say, listen, help me. I can do it on my own, but I also need you. We need this. We need Sundays. We need more than just Sundays. We need moments where we can sit down with one another and say, listen, I'm battling in my pursuit to a sincere and a pure devotion. I feel that I'm hindered by stuff and, and, and there are things. And what, Could you just help me? Let's talk about it. But let's engage one another towards this goal. We have this as a goal. This is a life worth living. A sincere and pure devotion. To Christ. And so, Father, I thank you this morning that, that these things are profound. They, they define us. Lord God, that so much so that the enemy is majorly threatened by this. And back in, in the book of Genesis, we saw that it threatened him. He knew that, that Adam and Eve were created. And we're living with a sincere and pure devotion to God. And, and he wanted to, to rob them of that. And he succeeded, unfortunately. But today, Lord God, we know that you've overcome the enemy. And you've overcome sin so that we don't have to succumb to his cunning and trick, um, trickery methods, Lord God. I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that we will be able to discern that where things come and hinder us, in our pursuit of you, that we will not allow it to steal from us. And that, Lord God, collectively as your people today, I want to ask that you will help us towards this constantly, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And my friend, if, you, if you're sitting here this morning, let's keep our eyes just closed. And if you've never entered into a relationship where you want to start with a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, you know what? The Bible is very clear that, that Jesus came to save those that are lost. And we are all, when we are born and find ourselves entering life here on earth, we are all born into sin. But Jesus has conquered sin. 
And so if you're sitting here this morning and, and there's sin in your life and you recognize that you've never repented of your sin and you've, you've walked alone, you've walked away from God, you've never walked towards God and, and you, you need to ask Him to forgive you for your sins, we want to give you the opportunity to do so. A journey towards a sincere and pure devotion to Christ starts with a decision that you make to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. That saves you from sin and brings you into a relationship that enables you to start this journey towards a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so if you're saying, yes, I, I've never, I've never entered into a relationship with Jesus and I'd love to do that. I want to ask you, just as eyes closed, why don't you just put up your hand and say, please pray for me. I need this. I need this in my life. Thank you. If you want to let us pray with you, why don't you just quickly shoot up your hand. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you that in this moment, you are stirring us. You're calling us and you're encouraging us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help us each individually to continue along this road of a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Because that is the only life worth living. I trust you for that. And for people, Lord God, that need to start this journey, I thank you that your grace is there to help them to get started. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father.